pass the buckets. Want to just uh, actually let me get this in there. Um, yesterday we had an amazing time here. You actually really surprised us. Um, the uh, we were expecting when we talked about this awaken workshop that there might be thirty or forty of you, and that's kind of what we were preparing for. And we thought that would be a great outcome, and and this would be something that we just continue to do. Well. 200 of you came yesterday, and uh, the whole place here was full around tables, and, and we've had a, we just had a great time together, and we got your response cards, and it seems like most all of you really enjoyed it and had a great, great response to it, and we haven't come across negative ones yet. If we do, we'll just shred those, of course. Um, no, I promise. I promise that we will read them completely, and then we'll shred them, okay? No, really, it's... it's uh, it was just a great beginning, and so um, many of you signed up for the ongoing class in that and kind of understanding your personality and how that forms you and your spiritual disciplines. And we also, just to let you know, we're going to be doing other kinds of things like this. Uh, we're looking at an opportunity where we might um, have that kind of a gathering for you that are interested in the creative arts and, and what, that ex- what um, we might do to help encourage you and inspire you in that area. We're going to look at doing some things on marriage and parenting and those kinds of things. So be watching for those, and we'll talk about those here in the near future. Why don't you stand to your feet as we prepare this morning for Pastor Ed to come. We, we have this opportunity to speak these words that are so important to us, that really form us, that, that connect our hearts together. And so let's uh, speak these words that we believe this morning. We believe in God the Father Almighty the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Pastor Ed. Good morning. We are um, ending our Awakened series Today, next week, we start a couple of messages on the sacrament of marriage. And then after that, we come back and we begin our journey to resurrection. Um, I, I really think that it's wonderful to stir up our love for God uh, on occasion, intentionally, purposefully, corporately. And that's what we, our series uh, for the 40 days before uh, Easter is about. It's, it, we call it making room for God. It's traditionally called Lent. And it's a time for us to stir up our hearts. I, I would love it to be our testimony that we were closest to God in our hearts in, within the last year. Instead of, oh, I remember years ago when my heart was close. I, I think we ought to fight so that our best stories are within months of our lives. And you have to lean intentionally in that. Jesus told the church in the book of Revelations... He said, I know you're, you're diligent and you've got doctrinal purity and you're standing for what's right. But he said, I have this against you. He said, you've lost your, your love, your first love. 
falling in love <laughs> again, over and over and over again. So we encourage uh, time and a season of just the special meetings where we come together. We start off with Ash Wednesday, where we have ashes that are actually from burned palms from the year before and uh, from Palm Sunday. And uh, we put them on your head and we basically, the message of Ash Wednesday is, you're going to die. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing to, to think about the fact you're, <clears throat> anyway, you get it. So, and, and we're encouraging some fasting times. You know, just fasting is, it's really a bad word, fasting. It should be called slowing because there's nothing fast about it. Distends time. And you, you can fast foods or different things that you do. I, last year, I, I, I fasted speeding. It was horrible. It was horrible. But, but uh, uh, driving the speed limit. <laughs> anyway. Um, but the reality is that these are things that help to stir us up to not only face our stuff because we stir up dragons. When you fast and stuff, it makes you irritated. It stirs up some dragons. You can look at it, face yourself, repent a lot. Didn't you love that repentance uh, prayer stuff that David did? That'll be posted on, the, on our website, by the way, this week. That'd be a beautiful thing for you. But we want to encourage you to get ready, get ready, get ready. We're going to enter into a season of seeking uh, the Lord. Okay, so there are a couple of T's I wanted to cross, a couple of I's I wanted to dot before we finish this series on this business of your destiny, our calling, awakening, having epiphany to the fact that we're part of a story that God is telling that we don't make up, we just find our place in it. And I've entitled this morning's message, Small is the New Big. (laughs) Small is the New Big. (laughs) I think in God's economy, small really is big. And when we think naturally, we tend to default, if it's going to be God, it's got to be big, even huge. And if you're really called in something significant, it'll probably involve a personal private jet, right? Because we're a hero culture, and we think that only those that stick out, I mean really stick out, in some way, are worthy of being noticed. So you've got to be stick out beautiful, stick out rich, stick out talented fairy tale kind of person in order to matter. And when these kind of people do stick out, we tend to make them our idols, our American idols. Somehow we think stick out proves worth. And if you don't, you're, if you're really average, which is a bad word, or even worse, ordinary, then on some level you're nothing more than cellophane. Cellophane is that stuff you see right through. And... Uh, If you're cellophane, you tend to feel like nobody notices you and something in that notion of being unnoticed and being insignificant creates despair because on the inside, we all want to matter. On the inside, I think it's a God thing, we need to matter. Now, I want to talk about being small, about being seemingly insignificant, but I don't want you to misunderstand me. I love the idea that a person can be anything that they want to be in terms of the context of their lives. I think that we should dare to dream, and I think that we should dare to excel. Uh, I'm convinced people can really become excellent in life. I mean, if you're a, a carpenter, we should strive to be amazing carpenters. If you are a teacher, you should strive to be a great teacher, not a mediocre teacher. I think if you like to cook, you should get really, really good at it and invite the gungers over. <laughs> I think you should, if you're into hunting, get really good at it. Or fishing, get really, if you're, an, if you're a parent, be an amazing parent, an amazing spouse. I think these, or amazing single person, whatever you are, I think we should fight to be better at what we do. 
right? And to become excellent at what we do. But I think there's a downside to this kind of thinking in American thought that we need to be excellent and wonderful and amazing at what we do. And some of us are smoking and I have a dream ganja. Right? Just watch the first part of any American Idol season. It started again. I don't know if you noticed that, but it started again. And what I love about it is I love to watch particularly the beginning of the season because there's a lot of people on there who really think they can sing. And they can't. They can't sing. And so they've been told by their family and friends who are lying to them that they can sing. Oh, you're good. They're lying. They're not any good. And they finally get in front of the judges and they start, you know, and I'm the next American Idol. They start to sing. And they're, I mean, they're totally in the land of the suck. And the judges tell them, you suck. And they're just crushed. Everyone says, I'm wonderful. Well, everyone's been lying to you. Right? How many of you watch this? It's beautiful. And, and then they, they, they come out and they say, I can't believe it. Those judges are crushing my dream. I just wanted to be the next American Idol. Well, honey, you aren't any good. You're no good. And what you're doing is you've ne- you got to recognize you will never, ever be a good singer. See, the, the adage, you can be anything you want to be, it's not true. There's some truth in it, but it's not true. You know, truthfully, I would love to be the next quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> but it's not going to happen. <laughs> I could dream it. I could go up to Lambeau Field, stand out on the field, imagine it, confess it, work out every day I'm awake, and it ain't going to happen. And it isn't just because I'm an old guy. If I'd have been a young guy doing it, I couldn't have done it because I was on the shallow end of the gene pool when it comes to physical prowess. <laughs> I just don't have the stuff. I, I, I could, I could want to be in the next Olympics. It ain't going to happen. My real physical dream is simple. I just want to keep from getting any fatter. <laughs> Which apparently has something to do with what I stick in my mouth hole which is problematic because I like stuff. And what complicates matters is that the sedentary lifestyle is, oh, so appealing to me. So, you can't be anything you want to. here's, Here's what the truth is. It's close to the truth. You can be anything you want to be. It's close to the truth, but it's not the truth. The truth is, You can be anything you want to be if you are calibrated with the potential to do such things and if you're willing to work very hard. That's the truth. There's a scripture we've been appealing to all through this series in Psalm 139 that says, for you created me. This is the psalmist praying and the whole nation of Israel and the church has been praying this for thousands of years. You created us. You created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully, which means intentionally, and wonderfully, which is a statement of value. I've been made wonderfully and intentionally. Your works, which is me, it's wonderful. In other words, we're not dissing what God has created. And he says, I know that full well, sidebar. Most of us don't. On some deep level, many Americans are disappointed 
in the fact that they look the way they look, they have the personalities that they have, and they don't have more gifts than they have. And on some fundamental level are a little bit ticked off at God. We don't understand that God made us like we are on purpose to fit in places he dreamed us to fit in. And that he wants us. You know, that's why when you walk into a room, there's certain people that you connect with almost instantly and you feel like you could be friends with them. Like you just talk one conversation, you feel like you're friends already. Why? God designed you to connect with certain people. And some of us can't get past the fact that our head's just a little bit out of proportion with our body. We got huge schnoggins. Or our, or our, you know, our eyesight is very good, or our nose overhangs Damascus, you know, whatever. Then he goes on, my frame. <laughs> I wish I could, I don't know, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What I'm suggesting to you is God knew you were coming in this time in history. He knew the place in which you'd be born. He knew the kinds of influence you would have and he calibrated you so that you would fit there. And some of us, he calibrated to have a lot of gifts and some he calibrated to not have so many gifts. And it isn't because he hates the one with less gifts. It's that the one with less gifts needs to fit certain places that person with more gifts wouldn't even fit. I don't know if you ever got erector sets when you were kids, you know, those little metal things. They were cool to get these on Christmas. The basic set looked something like this. You could do like maybe, uh, you get a little more basic than this, but can you throw that one up? That with Yeah, okay. Dude, these are sweet. You can do 10 models here. 190 plus parts. Isn't that beautiful? And you have to only be 8 to 88 years old. Then the second one is the 40 model set. This is like extra sweet model. You just got a little more stuff in the box. You can do, look at all that stuff that's in there. But then there's the slap your mama one. Look at this. This has got 1,400 pieces. Show the next slide. All this stuff. Next one. Yes! Even electric stuff. Right? Now, the truth of the matter is that there are some holy cow people out there who are extremely talented, amazingly brilliant, stunning in some way, that have these great gifts, you know, that, that, that pull, that, I mean, they've got so many options that came in their creation box set, and they can pull all kinds of stuff. But there's others of us who have more basic sets. We don't have as much stuff. We don't have any electric stuff in there. And, and there's some of us that have basic sets that seem to have some parts missing. <laughs> and we want to contact the manufacturer. We're a little torqued about it. But, but what if God purposely made us the way that we are so that we could fit in places he intended us to fit? See, I'd like to suggest to you that when you think you're small, in your own eyes, that does not mean that you are not critical or that you're an accident. And that's on some level by faith, you've got to buy in the fact that God makes both the great and the small. That's what the Bible says. He makes both the great and the small, both the Billy Grahams and the people that aren't so Billy Grahamish, or Mother Teresa's or Bill Gates's or whatever. There's some people that are just amazing on so many levels, and there's other people who just don't seem to be amazing at all. But yet, in God's economy, I'm suggesting to you, they're extremely important. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you that small is really the new big in God's eyes. The Bible's chock full of stories that exemplify the idea that these little obediences of seemingly insignificant people change the world. 
I love the story. Well, I didn't love the story. The story of Ruth. I used to read the book Ruth, you know, in the Bible. I used to read and think, why is this in the Bible? Because it's about this girl. You know, her husband dies. Bad story. And, and she's a Moabite woman, and, she, and, and, and the, whole fa- the boys die, and all that's left are, you know, Ruth and uh, Naomi, who's this uh, Israelite woman. And, and uh, Ruth says to Naomi, who has to go back because her sons are dead and there's nobody to take care of her, and she says, I'll go back with you. And, and one of the great quotes from that book is, you know, your God will be my God, your people will be my people. You know, it's a cool verse we usually quote in marriage ceremonies. It has nothing to do with marriage. It has to do with getting along with your in-laws. <laughs> <clears throat> But so Ruth ends up in Israel, and then they start starving to death. So, Ruth, so it, it, Naomi says, why don't you go, my, my uh, uncle or my or whatever he is, what is he, uncle? I think he's an uncle, uh, is, uh, is single. He's obviously an old guy. He's like twice as old as, as uh, Ruth. And uh, it's obvious from the text he's not an Abercrombie model. <laughs> and so she ends up connecting with this guy so that there's food and clothes, and then she ends up having a baby, right? The story ends. You go, whoa. Way to go, Ruth, I guess. <laughs> marry somebody you didn't want to marry, old guy. <laughs> Story ends. Right? So, and, and you kind of forget about it, except all of a sudden when you're reading the text, you realize that Ruth is the great-grandmother of David. And David, when he's born and he lives out his life, he has this dedication and this, this kind of commitment that's kind of unusual that rumors... Ruth. And we find out as the story unfolds, even though David isn't perfect, because of his heart, God builds the whole kingdom on David's heart, a man after God's own heart, because he mirrored the woman who had that kind of selfless devotion in her life, willing to do things that were sacrificial, that made her lose. It's all in David, which means no Ruth, no David. When you start realizing, as you read the scripture, you start understanding that God really is big on this, that he loves to use the ordinary world to manifest his power and to find ways to sneak little seeming cellophaneish people into context in which their simple obediences transforms the world. Now, now here's, I want to just muse on this for a couple more minutes and shut up. But, but what? Let's think about small for just a minute. Why would God make anyone small? And, and my first thought about this is this. What if it's harder for God to make small? What if it would be easier for God to make everybody amazing? Why? Because he is amazing. He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. He's perfect, which means he's perfect. So how can a God who's all-knowing and all-powerful make someone who can't balance their checkbook? How could Almighty God, who's absolutely perfect, make someone who has perfect pitch, make someone who can't sing? It's a miracle! I mean, it would be like, imagine this. Imagine standing on the shore, and here comes a 70-foot-high wave, and it's just coming at you, and you're going, and, and it hits you. And then you stand there, and you feel you're totally dry, except for one drop on your forehead. After being hit by that humongous wave, you know what you'd say? It's a miracle. 
How could I be hit by so much water and only have a little bit on me? See, how can God create you with all of his power and glory and amazingness and you end up so boring? I'm suggesting to you it took God more power to make people less. I think it would be easier for God to have made everyone amazing and perfect and harmonious and brilliant and creative and philosophers, right? Everybody, perfect. But he didn't. And I'm suggesting to you he didn't on purpose because I think he calibrates us to fit places. And if you had big, big, big gifts, you wouldn't fit in some of the places God actually cares about. Uh, let me give you an example. This Preston, I had him do this earlier. I want him to do this. Come on up here, bro. He's been so kind. He, he has a naturally lovely voice. And so I want him to sing to us a deeply inspirational song that changed my life. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. A, B, C, D. E F G H I J K L M N O P Q R S T T U V W X Y and Z. Okay, see that lovely? Wasn't that lovely? 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 Okay, now. I want him to enter the land of the suck, <laughs> pretend, <laughs> and just sing it horribly. Now, this means no. I mean, the last time you sang it, you actually had some notes that worked, so you're going to have to work harder and sing it really badly. Okay, go ahead. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O-P. Beautiful. Thank you. Now, wait, one more question. Now, honestly, which was easier for you to sing? Singing well or singing less well? The first was easier. first was easier. You know why? Because when you're good, it's easier to just do good. When you're really, really, really good to create something really, really, really less than good, takes a lot more work. Those of you that are only moms, only dads, only carpenters, only butchers or bakers or candlestick makers, <laughs> only Starbucks baristas, what if God made you thus and it took him more energy to make you thus? Precisely because he wanted you to fit in places. Because people matter to God. You know, it's wonderful to be you know, a person that we see that's greatly gifted. I mean, they, it's wonderful to have stick out beauty and all that. But the reality is, what if God does that? He does create the great. But he also creates the small. And I don't think God wants us to envy each other. I think God wants us to buy into the fact that we're not junk, that we're not mistakes. And then we say, God, where do you want me to fit? I'll even suggest this to you. What if, because most are small, that God thinks there's great power there in the hidden? <laughs> in modern warfare, they kept trying to build bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger bombs, huge bombs, huge bombs, packet with dynamite and stuff, you know, just pack it. 
And then somebody started thinking, you know, what, what if there's more power in tiny and small? People laughed. But as they dug into it, they, they realized that the greatest power that would ever be seen was not in the bigger bomb. It was actually in the smallest place, the atom. An unimaginable power was released when the tiniest place was explored. What if that's true? What if some of the greatest things that God does is not the David that's all open and out in the open and amazing and everybody's going, wow, King David. But what if God was just giggling because when Ruth came on the scene, he was going, here's where it is. This is what unleashes the David. What if small is really the big with God? It would sure make sense out of 1 Corinthians 12 where God says we, that, 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 that he puts the greatest honor on the parts that seem to have no honor. Why? Maybe he knows something we don't know. I've told you this story, but uh, I think in this series, uh, about that walking into the successory store at the mall, and uh, I had just preached the year before at this great church, and the men were there, and it was an unusual meeting at the church, about 3,000 people, and, and, and uh, so I was preaching with about 300 men, and that particular year before, it was so sweet. And I was so expectant that something was going to happen that was really cool. And I was excited for the weekend, but I had about an hour to kill. So I zoomed to the mall, thought I'd you know, try to see if I could catch a little affluenza. And, um, and, and, I, and I went to the, I ended up wandering into a successory store, which they don't exist anymore, I don't think. But they, they were those places that are kind of just trying to encourage positive thinking in the marketplace and talk about vision. They have all these pictures and sayings and posters. So most of you have seen those things. So I'm in this store. As I'm standing there, I'm looking at this book. And out of the corner of my eye, I see this gal turned away from the wall. And something in my heart says, something's wrong. And I'm usually not very sensitive to anything but me. <laughs> So I thought, maybe this is the Lord. <laughs> so I, I kind of you know, looked, and, I, and then she turned around, and I, I, and I could see her eyes a little bit, and I walked up to her, and I said, listen, I said, I'm not paying attention to anything but this book over here. And I felt, and this may sound crazy to you, but I felt in my heart like the Holy Spirit wanted me to come and pray for you. Do you need prayer? <gasps> Pow, the dam burst, and she was wailing and crying. Just, uh, ah! I mean, she was wailing. And you know, we're the only ones in the store. Thank the Lord. And I'm trying to get her to talk, but she couldn't talk. She tried with so travail, such a travailing cry, that it was just a few moments and she was into that, you know, that baby thing. You know what they do? The, kind of thing, you sling and snot. So I prayed for her and after I got done, I felt the presence of God. And after I got done praying for her, I said, do you know anybody of faith? Is there a person of faith? She couldn't talk. And she nodded her head. And I said, listen, go talk to them. I said, God's got steps out for you. He's always got a hope for you. She's, thank you, you know. I left the room, left the store, and I'm walking away and thinking, that was sweet. And I had this sense in my heart. What if that, this is the question, what if that was the greatest thing you ever did? Now, that thought depressed me. <laughs> what, what about my preaching? What about the books? Right? That's what I thought. You know, I just my reaction was that. And, and, and then my mind started to wonder, what if, what if something got put in motion there? What if that little obedience, that little obedience, put something, some Ruthie thing in motion that has ramifications I'll never know till I get to eternity. And I imagine being in eternity at the judgment seat of Christ and I imagine, you know, realizing, I mean, this, what if this girl, what if we 
somehow this prayer stopped a, a divorce and maybe this girl with her husband that stayed together had this child and that child grew up and they had got married and had a child and that child grew up and went on a short-term mission trip to Chile and then they go to, to Chile and, and, and they're reaching out to people and somebody comes to Christ who becomes the next Billy Graham of Chile and there's 100,000 people in Chile that come to Christ and there I am in eternity and, and, and God saying, look at all these souls from Chile that are in the kingdom and, and we want to introduce you to who's responsible. And I'm looking around thinking, well, who's responsible? And all of a sudden, Jesus says, and I go, I've never even been to Chile. Maybe one of my books got there. <laughs> and God says, do you remember that day in successories when you said yes? See, what if God loves to take tiny and change the world? And that what really matters is our little obediences in our lives. CNN at the end of one of those, they used to have half-hour broadcasts the same every half-hour and then would change at the end. They'd have these little human interest pieces and... In the 90s, in the late 80s, there was a human interest piece about this guy in Japan who had set up a million dominoes. A million. It's a lot of dominoes. <laughs> Little guys. And he set them up in a field house in Japan, and all the news was there, and they, as it, they're rolling out the end of the thing, they, the guy pushes the dominoes. And they're going all over the place. The dominoes are tipping. In my little devious mind, I thought, hmm. What if some of you had gone in the middle of the night and pulled like six or eight of those dominoes out of there? <laughs> and the whole thing's on. Oh! Ah! Gotta set the whole thing up again! Here's the sense I had about that. What, and what, what if God's people do that to God all the time? They just step out of the game. Because they don't matter. I'm just, I'm just a mom. I'm just a grade school teacher. I'm just a student. I just work at Walmart. See, not understanding, what if God made you thus to fit in places so that you can enter that with his kingdom and with life? I ran into this lady when I was pastoring in Wisconsin, and uh, her name was Ruth, actually. Sister, she's an older lady. And she said, you know, I saw her in the church, and she'd been there for years, and she had to be in her 80s. And I remember when I came to Christ as a kid, I was so open to the gospel. I, I mean, all I did was hear about somebody that was thinking about giving their life to Jesus, and I gave my life to Jesus. I mean, I was just really open. And I, and I always thought, well, I just must, you know, I don't know why I was so open to the gospel. So I'm talking to her one day, and she pulled me aside, and she said, I want to tell you a story. I said, what? She said, your dad's my doctor. I was my doctor all, all, most of my life. And she said, I went to his office in Nielsville, little Squealsville, little Nielsville, Wisconsin, where we, where we grew up. And she said, I walked in the office and I saw your picture on your dad's uh, desk. She said, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, pray for that boy. She said, I prayed for you for years. From when I was about six, she prayed for me. Now, what if everything I think I should get credit for goes to her in eternity? See, maybe God doesn't think about stuff the way we think. Maybe what he's looking for are little people that think they're, they're worthless if they actually buy into the fact that it's maybe the little is so that I fit in places. I told you the story about my daughter, Lissa, when I was returning the car that, that had a low 
seat on it and I was trying to reach and get the cassette tapes. It was back in the cassette tape days. And I'm trying to reach under and get them and I got a bunch of them, but there was one of them that I was after. I think it was like an important one, second chapter of Acts or something, tape, <laughs> singer guys. And I'm reaching under there and I, I just got to the tape and I tried to pull it out and I just pushed it further and I reached under it. Push it further, you know, like that. And I was going to the fatter part of my arm, and I'm getting, and it's hurting. I'm nearly committing suicide, wondering, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And my daughter, Liz, is going, Daddy! She's about eight. Daddy, what? Try to get the, Daddy, what? And I pulled my hand out, what? And she reached past me, gave me the tape. (laughs) The little skinny little arm. And I heard, I'm not kidding you, in my heart, I heard small fits where big doesn't. What if that's true? What if God intentionally made you with less gifts, less abilities, less amazingness on purpose? And he's expecting you, if you're cleaning houses or you're being a policeman or you whatever, that he knows you'll be in places where you'll see people, where you'll shoot a prayer that'll put something in motion that would have never been put in motion. A conversation that once you have, you'll start something in somebody's life that you never see the fruit of, but you started something that has an amazing impact in the kingdom. You just don't know. What if God does that? And that what the enemy wants us to do is just think of ourselves like we're nothing, wishing we could be so, wishing God would have made us just a little cuter. This nose! I hate my nose! Right? What if? One more story. Stand up so you think I'm done. <laughs> good, good, good friend of Gail and I's who was one of the elders in the community we were part of that was one in leadership. She was a teacher. She did all the women's. I mean, she was just really an amazing lady, still is an amazing lady. She told us one day, she said, you know, I was abused as a child and I, I, I became suicidal through my teen years. I wanted to die so bad. She hospitalized herself just to keep from killing herself. And she said, but there was one moment when I was in grade school when our Sunday school teacher said something to me that kept me from letting myself kill myself. That's why I put myself in the hospital. I just, I just could not die. I thought to myself, I bet you that Sunday school teacher had no clue. Saved a life. And that life she saved has impact, but that, that family has people in play that I, are really great. If I told you who they were, you'd go, wow, really great. See, what if, just like the NSA or the CIA or the FBI, they have people that are breaking up crime and breaking up strategies and, and those agents that they have, what makes them so powerful? In fact, nobody notices them. They're undercover. They're sneaking around. And people just think they're carpenters. They think they're school teachers. They think they're, you know, accountants or whatever they are. They just think, but they're there on, they're on a dual role. They're, we work for the CIA. They're just an accountant. Everybody thinks, you think I'm an accountant, but I'm really CIA. <laughs> but they can't tell anybody because if they told anybody, it's like Mission Impossible. Did you ever see that? 
Mission, some of you saw it when, when you were really old, you saw it on TV, and then you've seen it, you know, there's recent, there was a movie out this last year. You know, it's, it's got that dun, 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 You know, it's just, right? Cool, sweet, right? And, and the people in it, they, they try to, you know, they, if they're going to take over a building or something where the bad guys are, they, they go in like elevator repairmen. Elevator repairman? Why don't they have MI t-shirts on? Mission Impossible and come and say, hi, I'm highly skilled. I'm coming in to take over the building. No, they don't want to do that. They don't want anybody to know. They want them to think they're an elevator repairman because it's precisely in the fact that they think they're ordinary cellophane that they can actually change the course of history. What if your husband just thinks he's married to his wife? What if you're really on a secret mission from God to make him better than he is? What if those children just think you're a mom? What if those kindergartners just think you're a teacher? But you know. Dum, dum, da, da, dum, dum, da, da, Just, just give me a minute because my physical prowess isn't very great and I'm recovering. <laughs> you know what? Truth be told, we need to repent as Americans because we think great is better. And we're mad at God for not making us amazing and rich and beautiful. And we miss God's kingdom and people are going to go into eternity because God, without God, because we keep making him set up the dominoes. Because we think one domino doesn't matter. I can go today and just struggle all day with sin. It doesn't matter. I can just ignore people and walk in my own selfishness. It doesn't matter. I'm not anybody. I don't teach the Bible anymore. And we're deceived. And people are lost because of us. I'm telling you. Small is really the new big with God. Repent well.